Titus 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone, but avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As soon as I send Artemis and Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenus, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to do what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Please keep your Bibles open there. Thank you for your very warm welcome uh, this morning. And I think there's a brief outline on the notice sheets that you're given as you came in. Uh, how about I pray for us? Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the Bible. We ask now that by the Holy Spirit, you would teach us, you would keep us in the truth of your word. And we pray that we might be challenged and changed where we need to be. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder if you are nice when people are nasty. Are you nice when people are nasty? We used to live uh, in a house uh, on our church, on the church property where I used to be a pastor, which happened to be next door to another church of a different flavour to ours. And we used to have all these problems with people from that church parking across our driveway which was also the driveway of the church. And of course, if someone parks it, you can't get in or out. And it was so frustrating. We tried everything. I would ask nicely for people not to park across our driveway. I, you know, they would still do it. Uh, we called the police. We called the council. They couldn't care less. Uh, you know, I investigated wheel clamping and towing and all that kind of stuff. I, I learned, well, that's actually illegal to do. Uh, what would you do? 
if this was just happening to you, what, what would you do? Uh, I tried putting out, particularly obviously on a coming into a Sunday morning or something like that, when all our people are coming or, or our Sunday night events or whatever, I put out uh, traffic cones or we, our wheelie bins or I put out a chair with a sign, no parking. That would just move it, throw it onto the footpath and park there. What would you do? What would you do? One night we're driving home, it's about 10pm, we've been on a short break, the car is loaded with luggage and sleeping small children and cars are parked across our driveway again. And so I go to the, they always have these parking helpers in their, you know, in their uh, uh, high-vis vests uh, and, and I went over to them and I asked them if they could have this person or these two people move their car. And this was the reply. Why? What's your problem? I said, well, I can't get in my driveway. <laughs> What's the fuss? What's the fuss? It's just one night. Of course, they've been doing it forever. And I said, but I need to use the driveway tonight. And the reply I got was, was this. Take a mental seat. Why are you being so selfish? Hello? Are you kidding me? What would you do? What would you do? Now, I'm not pleased with what I did next. <laughs> I said this. <laughs> and I quote. Well, you won't mind if I park in your driveway then. Oh, my goodness. You should have heard the parking helpers by now. There's three of them. And, you know, it's nighttime. They've got those, you know, those big metal mag lights that are about that long? And the three of them, they closed in on me and around me, shone the lights right in my face, and they started swearing at me like you have never heard. These are people from the church? I tell you, what would you do? I walked away because <laughs> they were huge and they were very, very angry. But this is what I did next time. The next time I knew that this would happen was Christmas. And, you know, they had their night services and uh, Christmas. And I knew they would park across the driveway again. So I went out and I bought a tin of grease. Thick, black, hard to get off your hands, grease. And the plan was I'd put out, you know, some of our plastic chairs from church. I'd cover them with a black garbage bag. I'd put a little sign, no parking, please. And then I was going to slather it in grease. So that when they moved it, which I knew they would, they would get covered before they walked into church with all this grease on them. And it would be a small yet satisfying victory. <laughs> what would you do? What would you do? I'll tell you what happened later. <laughs> My question is, 
How do you treat people who treat you badly? How do you treat people who treat you badly? Now come with me to Titus 3 and verse 1. Titus 3 verse 1 says, Remind the people to be subject to rulers, to be obedient, that is, obey the laws of the land, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one. Don't say bad stuff about people. To be peaceable. Don't cause trouble. And considerate. Do what is nice and helpful for others. And always be gentle towards everyone. Basically, it's saying, be good and do good. And he's saying this in relation to people behaving badly towards them. That's how you should respond. Be good and do good. Now, why would the Bible say be nice when people are nasty? Why? Well, look with me at verse 3. Verse 3. Verse 3 says, because. Now, in the original language of the Bible, the word because... Is, is there. They, they don't have it in this English version, but in the original, there's the word because. So, verse 3, because at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. In other words, you know what he's saying? He's saying, you were once like those people who were treating you badly. You were once just like that. Like them, it says, you too. You also were foolish, disobedient, enslaved to passions and pleasures, malicious, envious, hateful. That was you once. Now, enslaved to passions and desires doesn't mean that you're some kind of party animal or, or something like that. It's the Bible way, Bible's way of saying people who live to please themselves over living to please God. Sounds terrible. And when you add all those other things there in verse 3, it's, you might be thinking to yourself, well, I'm not like that. Or I was never like that. But have you ever... Have you, have you never really ever been malicious, said bad stuff about other people, or envious, really, never been envious, never felt hatred towards someone, just in your own heart and mind? Have you never ever really pleased yourself over God? That's true of all of us, isn't it, in some way, and true actually of all people in some way. But something happens. Look with me at verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but... 
because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. Now, these verses express what has happened to them, or more accurately, what God did for them, in light of them being verse 1 and 2. And what did God do for them? Three words. He saved us, verse 5. Twice. He saved us. Now at that time, the readers receiving this letter understood what he meant. And so he doesn't explain it in full here. Allow me to do so. God tells us in the Bible that all people have lived to please themselves over and above God in some way at some time. Pleasing yourself above God is merely to place yourself above God. You know what God calls that? God calls that sin. God calls that sin. It's kind of a word you're not supposed to use these days or say out loud, but that's what God calls it. Sin. And God tells us that the consequence, indeed the penalty of sin, like we heard in the kids' talk, is death. Ultimately, eternal death. Eternity without God. Eternity separated from Him. And Jesus calls that hell. Again, that's not a word you're supposed to say out loud these days, but that's what Jesus calls it. But God did not desire that people would pay for their own sins in eternal death or in hell. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for the sins of the world. To pay the penalty on behalf of those who have sinned. You heard it in the kids' talk, to substitute. And God says that when you put your faith in Jesus as the one who pays the debt of death that we owe for our sins, you are forgiven of your sins. And heaven, and not hell, is yours. You are saved. God did that. Jesus did that. He saved us. That's what he did. And I wonder as we were reading through that, if you noticed why he did it. Firstly, look at verse 5. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done. God did not save us because we were righteous in any way. Remember, verse 1 and 2, we too. Uh, yes, verse 1 and 2, we too were foolish and disobedient, malicious, envious, hateful, lovers of pleasure and passion. We were unrighteous. That is, we were not right before God. But he saved us. Why? Verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared. 
kindness and love of God. Now, verse 6 tells us, doesn't it, that Jesus Christ is our Saviour. So it's saying, if we go back to verse 4, when it talks about God our Saviour, it's saying that the kindness and love of God is embodied in Jesus. That is, you want to see the love and kindness of God? You look at Jesus Christ. His death on the cross for our sins was the love and kindness of God. See, he was unspeakably nice, was he not, to us when we were nasty. We move on in verse 5. In verse 5, we are also told that it's, he saved us because of his mercy. His mercy. Mercy is not giving us the punishment that we deserve. That's when you show mercy. That we deserve for our sin. And it's only mercy because you do not deserve it. If you do deserve it, it's not mercy anymore. So God gave Jesus to us because it shows his kindness, love and mercy. Verse 5 also talks about, in the second part of verse 5, being saved through what the Holy Spirit does. Now, I want you to know that when the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does here, nothing weirdo is going on. It's Christian lingo, meaning the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, works in us and enables us to have a new start. But it says, verse 6, that the Holy Spirit is poured out generously through Jesus Christ. That is, the Holy Spirit is a generous gift, because that's what grace means. Gift is a generous gift of God to us, remember, who are unrighteous. And verse 7 we are told that we are justified, that is declared right before God, as again we heard this morning, terrific. Verse 7, we are justified by His grace. Grace is God's breathtakingly generous gift of sending his son Jesus to die for our sins so that we, the unrighteous, might be justified, might be made right before God. It's grace because we've done nothing to deserve it. It is grace uh, or a gift because it's not something you can pay for or earn. It's certainly not a reward <laughs> that we deserve. You see how verses 4 to 7 are describing God? Full of kindness, love, mercy, generosity, grace. So do you see what's happening here? 
in the face of people who treat who are treating them badly, God is saying, treat them well. Do good to them. Be always ready to good, do good to them. Why? Because you too were just like those who treat you badly, but God did good to you. And God treated us according to who he was and not how people deserved to be treated. And so God saved. He saved them. He saved us instead of giving people what they deserved for their sin. And you know, the way the writer constructs this section of his letter actually is to emphasise who God is and what God has done so that we can actually understand better who God is and what he has done. See, he could have just said to these the people receiving this, look, you know, you were rat bags, but God saved us and then gone home. See you later. God bless. Bye-bye. Could have done that, but he doesn't, does he? He expands. And why does he expand on who God is and what God has done? It's so that we can appreciate it. We can appreciate who God is. It's kind of like if I said to you, I'm going to give you cake. And you're sitting there, oh, okay, well, it's nice, I like a little bit of cake. But what if I said to you this? I'm going to give you warmed chocolate mud cake. I can already see reactions. With a velvety Belgian chocolate ganache. Served with raspberry coulis. <laughs> and a dollop of King Island double thick cream. And a scoop of creamy vanilla bean ice cream. Mm. With a light dusting of icing sugar and a strawberry fan and a cherry on top. Well, now you're going, ooh, cake. You see the difference? Yeah. And you like me a whole lot more now, don't you? <laughs> if I actually had it. <laughs> see, here he does not simply say, God saved us. No. He says, God Kindness, love, mercy, generosity, grace. The one who gives you his son, he saved you. God's saving takes on a much richer deeper meaning, does it not? That's why the writer does it this way. And then in verse 8, he says this, I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. 
these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. In other words, his argument is God saved you in his kindness, love, mercy, grace, generosity. When you behaved badly, when you were nasty, now do the same. Do the same. He saved you so that you would not behave as others do to you, but to always do good. He says, devote yourselves to doing what is good. For all of us who have been saved by God, this is for us to do good. That's your response to he saved us. Do good to everyone. Be kind. Be considerate. Be gentle. Be peaceable. No matter how others treat you. It's not saying be a doormat. Okay? Not saying be a doormat. He is saying always do good. Because the God who is kindness, love, grace and mercy and generosity saved you. And saved you for that. When people behave badly or poorly towards you, might be someone being mean or nasty or selfish or maybe just parking across your driveway. Do not grease them. <laughs> but do good. Do good. And we do that because that's how God treated us. You see? See, it was when we were at our worst, God gave us his best. Do the same. When we were sinners, God gave us his son. By the way, in the end, I didn't grease my neighbours. Not because I'm noble, but because I was chicken. <laughs> but I did not grease them. If you're here today, or watching uh, uh, online, and you have not experienced this extraordinary kindness, love, mercy and grace of God. Why not do it today? Why not do it right now? God holds out the gift of Jesus to you as the one who saves you, as the one who has paid for your sins and brings you forgiveness and eternal life. I want to ask you if you're here or online, will you put your trust in Jesus? Will you? If you want to, I'm going to invite you to, with everybody, to listen very carefully as I pray for us and as I pray for you. And if you would like to, to respond accordingly. I'm going to invite us all now to bow our heads as we pray. Let's pray.
Lord God and Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your kindness, love, mercy and grace to us in giving us your Son, Jesus, to die for our sins. And Heavenly Father, we now pray for anyone here or anyone watching right now who wants to accept your gift of forgiveness by trusting in Jesus that they might quietly in their hearts now say yes to you. And Father, for those who have now said yes, we thank you that you have saved them because of your kindness, love, mercy and grace. And so we thank you and thank you for them in Jesus' name. Amen. May I say as I finish, if you, one of, if you during that prayer said yes to trusting in Jesus, please tell someone. Please tell them, as soon as we finish here, tell one of the team, tell the person that uh, 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 brought you along. So important uh, that uh, the team know so that we continue to, that we, that they can continue to encourage you. If you've had questions, questions about anything that was said uh, now or even during the whole service, again, I, I beg of you to ask them. I'm sure you don't have a question that they haven't been asked before. I'm going to hang around for a while as well, please. Uh, so important that your questions are answered. But for those who said yes right then and there, you are now part of God's family and we welcome you.